And if you're NASCAR, if you work for NASCAR and you're listening to this podcast, don't get don't be nervous. Hello and welcome to Money Lap. I'm Parker Klugerman, joined as always by Landon Castle. Landon, this is our podcast about all motorsports, and I just have to put it out there from the top, this may be our biggest episode yet, um, mm. because this is not only the biggest week in motorsports, but there was a ton of stuff that happened in motorsports over the last weekend and week that we haven't been able to do a pod, so we have a lot to dive into. So for those listening, just sort of settle in and join us on this worldwide tour of all motorsports. I think it's the best way to explain it. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, first and foremost, we start with the PR lap, right? Which is our mm-hmm. way of shouting out some of the people out there that gave us reviews. And of course, I have no reviews. So I'm going to ask producer Josh to give me some reviews, and we'll read that after I do our portion of the PR lap. But as always, leave us a five-star review. Get read on this podcast. Uh, I think I didn't see where we're at, but we're maybe almost at 50. We're trying to get to 100. It's a big deal if we can get to 100. So you just started the PR lap to, to read and totally reviews, messed it up, which is the purpose of the PR lap. And then you said, oh, no, I have no reviews for the PR lap. <laughs> great, great prep work. That is incredible. We're off to an awesome start. What's next? I just said, I just said this is the biggest episode we're ever going to have, and we literally messed it up That's off like, the top. You, the PR lap <laughs> is putting on stickers in practice to put a lap up at the top of the board. And then, and then it's like we just turned to the tire guy, and we were like, where's the tires? And you would have headsets on. You can't hear each other. He'd be just like mouthing it. <laughs> Where's the tires? I don't have the tires. We're well, doing a PR actually, lap. <laughs> okay, actually, so while the tire guy is running back to get tires, yes. uh, what, how was your weekend in North Wilkesboro? Well, qualifying's just not been my thing, apparently. Because <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what happened to me at North Wilkesboro. Uh, we were super fast in practice in the truck. Was really excited about this race. We were, I think, seventh in practice. But showed up like we were possibly top three in the long run. Uh, went out mm. to qualify Saturday morning, was really slow, um, and was zero, basically having no points because we haven't finished one of the four races we've done this year. We had nothing to fall back on, and we fell out of the top 31 and did not make the race, which was like one of the worst moments uh, ever. Uh, it's a very hollow and empty feeling. feeling in the world. It's awful. Um, been able to dissect it a little bit. I'll have more to dive into on that. Um, I will say... I think for a lot of fans out there, like the immediate thought, and I think a lot of drivers do this, is blame the car, blame this sort of thing, that that sort of thing. And I think for me, though, and I know you have this opinion a lot in sort of racing situations, we can only control what we can control, and that is, okay, well, how could I have been better, right? And so that's how I've taken it, um, in that I should be able to qualify a broomstick into a truck race. So really big miss for me. I've already gone to work on some things I think I can be better at in qualifying um, and just some other stuff that you and I have talked about and even going and running rental go-karts, which is not going to happen in this episode, but we should talk about how we as race car drivers use that because it is fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think this is, this is one of those moments as a race car driver or as just an athlete, right? Like golfers who have really you know bad tee shots off the box and then they can't hit a golf ball. It's You've got to at times sort of look in the mirror and say, Hey, what can I do better? Right. I think that, um, one note, cause I know right before we started recording the show, you said, Landon, please try not to spend a enormous <laughs> amount of time on certain topics so that we don't go over an hour. But I, but I want to note on this real quick. One thing that's interesting about what happened to you this weekend, 
um, was you you had what you thought you had in practice, and then you were surprised by your qualifying result, right? And a lot of times, I feel like scenarios where a driver is blindsided by lack of speed in qualifying or lack of feel in qualifying is at tracks where there is a very low amount of grip, right? So if you were at a high-grip racetrack, you probably would have gotten a feel for the car really quickly and in qualifying and been able to max out the car. But at a place like North Wilkesboro, and especially the fact that we don't race there very often, we haven't, you've never raced there before, right? And, And, you know, so there's not a lot of familiarity there. I mean, at that track, by the time you pull out on the racetrack, the tires are oversaturated, right? You're not even up to speed yet, and the tires are sliding. And yep. that can make it very difficult to, to you know, get a feel for what max grip is, what optimal grip is in one lap. And and it is easy to be blindsided there. I've, I've had that before. I can't countless times. For me, Richmond is that place where I get mm. in a rhythm and practice – and then yep. I get in qualified. I, I've been top 10 in practice at Richmond and qualified in the 30s before. Well, yep, and that's basically what I did. For that exact reason, <laughs> because you, the car is sliding and you just you don't have a basis for the grip level. Um, and I feel like it's more common at a track like that than it is at a high grip racetrack. It's a very interesting experience. That is really well put, well said. And it's it's a lot of what I've been working on. Uh, internally in terms of just figuring out, okay, what what did I misinterpret here and how did we slow up so much or not gain as much speed as some of the other cars out there? So something mm-hmm. we got to work on, really unfortunate. Uh, Larson went on to win that race. We'll talk way more about North Wilkesboro later in the pod here. We do need to quickly expand on something from last week. So we talked about how, or at least I made the statement that Lewis Hamilton will not win an eighth world championship and that there's sort of this the seven championship curse across even not just motorsports, but a lot of sports. And we did name some of the other motorsports out there that have uh, had champions of more than seven times. Um, but one fan out there did say there was a MotoGP rider who got eight championships at the top level. And I'm going to butcher his name, but I think it's Giacomo Agostini who had eight in MotoGP at the top level. So, I think we were, I think you did yeah. pretty good there because I was saying Giacomo, Giacomo. <laughs> that that makes way more sense. Just have to put it out there. We're we uh, we will admit when we're potentially wrong. Um, and I, the only thing I'll caveat I'll give that is you know there's always that that asterisk in NASCAR about modern era, which is like the idea of the late '70s on. I would say, and right. his championships were in the '60s and '70s. So maybe we can caveat with modern era. I still think I I think you know I'm oversimplifying. I still think the seven championship thing is like this broader idea that to win seven annual championships takes you know how many time how many attempts does it take to win a single championship? Right? Does it take one yep. attempt? Does it take five attempts? And so if you're trying to win seven, it's a function of you know if it's three attempts per, per, per championship, then you have to be at it for 21 years. Um, <laughs> and 21 years is an entire career. And, yep. you know, so it's just, I, I think that it's maybe, uh, I don't know, we need to talk, we should find some like statistic engineer at MIT that can tell us exactly why seven seems to be like this global threshold for all sports titles. Yeah, I'm sure they have nothing better to do. They'll really help us. That'd be great. <laughs> it's probably already been studied. <laughs> I, I swear, I it think it's a math already problem. been studied. I guess 
a week's it's gone a by and I haven't I didn't really look it up. So maybe I didn't want to know that bad, but I I think yeah. it has been studied. <laughs> it's it's you're you're making it into a math problem, which makes it really unromantic, and now I'm sad. So thanks. <laughs> Once again, on the PR lap, you just made me sad. I love this weekend we were texting because in my opinion, the single greatest time trial event in all of motorsports occurred at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is qualifying for the Indianapolis 500. You have the drama of all the cars going on Saturday, the insanely fast speeds on the Friday, which they call Fast Fridays. They turn up the boost, and you start to see how fast everyone's going to go. Then they're, they're all vying for speed on Saturday. You then have the bump cars and the Fast Six that go – or actually, what was it? Yeah, the Fast Six that go on cool. Sunday. Or the 12 that leads to the Fast Six, right? And then uh, – you know, the bump day drama on Sunday was just unbelievable. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan struggling for speed. They have to just beat one other car, Stingray Rob, and they couldn't, they only had one of their cars beat them. So then it was Graham Ray Hall and Jack Harvey, both RLL cars, vying to be the 33rd car in the Indy 500. Jack Harvey gets it done on a rerun attempt in the last minute. Gets in to the Indy 500 by a fraction of a second. What a hor- I texted him afterwards. I said, dude, nerves of steel. The way he was so calm and just execute on that was incredible. I think the qualifying format is amazing because it's the perfect mix of speed, handling, pressure, drama. The, the Indy 500 qualifying, ugh, it's just it's my favorite, one of my favorite motorsport events of the year. I, it's... I love it. I, I can't remember if I said this on the pod a couple weeks ago, and this is now, Mark, this is the second week in a row I talk about emotions on the pod. Uh, but there's, there's two sporting events that'll make me emotional watching the final hours and final minutes, and it is the Masters, especially when Tiger Woods won in 2018, and the Indy 500. I feel like <laughs> as a fan, I stand up in my living room and and begin to... to fill my face with emotion in the final laps of every year of the Indy 500. It is just, it's such an amazing event. And this, this, what we saw with Jack Harvey um, on Sunday was like the ultimate precursor. That was like the ultimate hype moment for me to get ready for this Indy 500 this year, to just see this passion and this excitement, um, everything that was on the line, this heroic effort uh, from Jack and his team to turn that car around uh, I when they went out with 12 minutes to go, I was almost thinking, like, did he do that for his teammate to, <laughs> you know, maybe give his teammate a chance to to also go in if he bumps him? Um, obviously, uh, you know, his teammate was on pit road waiting, and uh, I I didn't I guess I didn't think I don't know those cars well enough, so maybe they you know they had it in their minds that they could rerun it if they had to, but I wasn't even thinking that they could rerun it. Um, I was just thinking they were leaving their teammate Graham enough time to to make a run if he bumped him, um, or at least hopefully bump Stingray Rob. So, gosh, it was just it was incredible to watch. I was it, it got me extremely hyped for uh, for the 500. I barely even watched the um, <laughs> the the session for the pole um, because it wasn't, I was so excited for that. It wasn't and moved you, on to the NASCAR race. Well, because it couldn't even live up to that. It was just the most. Oh, I know. Oh, just the most. I mean, you you know, you said the emotions, and you could see it. It's relief. It's sadness. It's Graham Ray Hall crying basically on camera. I mean, it, you know. Now, just a little background. I I did speak to some of my IndyCar friends today. Uh, first and foremost, 
that that swing of events probably cost Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan probably seven figures for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. One, obviously, not having a car get in the Indy 500 is worth about 300 grand or so in prize money. They have the engine in um, Jack Harvey's car rerunning it twice like that. Most likely, they melted that engine down. A lot of people are saying, or at least hurt it, which could be a hundred grand wow. penalty for them. Um, you, you, so you have the sponsorship side of whatever United. You know, a lot of these teams apparently, because no one is locked into the Indy Five Hundred, their sponsorship contracts have clauses of giving money back if you don't make it. Okay, so, it so could be like a performance based sponsorship. Yes. So there's there's a lot of ramifications for not making it and to be you know just one car out. So it's just so so wild. Um, and I, I just think, you know, that's, that adds to the drama and the pressure and why it's just the best qualifying in the world. So, Hey, before we move what on is, from the PR lap, well, yeah, hold on. Go ahead. Before we move on, we did get a five-star review out there. I did notice we're, we're, we're over 50 by a massive two reviews. We're at 52 reviews on Apple podcasts. Thank <laughs> okay. you very much. Zach Measle here, uh, said entertaining and informative, a bit like actions detrimental, but with a broader scope. Take that Denny. Uh, a bit like stacking <laughs> pennies, but without the incentive to be positive towards racing series operators and racing organizations. Take that, Corey. Uh, Parker keeps the train running, and Landon provides uh-oh, sometimes half-baked hot takes that are often thought-provoking, if occasionally stupid. It's currently my favorite podcast. Half-baked? <laughs> Wait a second. What is why they so mean Hot takes that are thought-provoking, but what? <laughs> I don't, uh, thought-provoking, but... Occasion, if occasionally stupid. It's stupid. currently my favorite part. Yeah, I don't know. You okay, call him out. Okay, Zach, where's this guy? Let's get him in here. <laughs> We're oh moving God. on. You Let's know what? Okay, so let me tell you a story, Parker. Let me tell you a yes. story. Before we get into the rest of this thing. So I'm watching King of Collectibles on Netflix the other day. And it's just, it's, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's this documentary about a large collectibles auction site in new jersey i and i had i had no idea how valuable um collectibles had been getting lately right i remember the hype back in like 2021 the sports stuff there was like this tom brady rookie car that went for two million bucks or something in fact i i did uh you know guilty as charged i dug through my parents attic to find what i knew I knew for sure that I had Tom Brady rookie card when I was a kid, but I couldn't find it. No avail. I digress. So I decided to take a look at my old diecast collection. And let me tell you, not pretty. Cars <laughs> are pretty old, beat up. Some good stuff. And in fact, a long time ago, I had a Twitter thread about my diecast collection. I got cool cars, but you know they're not in the best shape, whatever. So my son Beckham, he walks in on me sorting through this mess, and he goes, these are old, Dad. You need some new cars. You need to upgrade your collection. I don't even know how the seven-year-old knows what how to say upgrade your collection. Anyways, <laughs> that's when I realized I needed to step up my diecast game. Okay, so I started looking for the perfect gift for Beckham, and boy did I hit the jackpot when I found SpoilerDieCast.com. This place is a goldmine for race fans like us. They have one of the largest inventories of in-stock products in the industry, and not just for NASCAR. They also offer diecasts for dirt, sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1. And that's not all, Parker. They even have a pre-order system in place for diecasts with zero dollar down option. Talk about flexibility, right? Well, hold on. It's even better. 
Now, they have a promo code, MONEYLAP, M-O-N-E-Y-L-A-P, for free shipping and 5% all off, off all orders. Now, 5% may not sound like a lot, but in the racing world, Parker, that's like, you know, that's like getting a pole position. That's the actually that's <laughs> even take better. It. That's like the split of the entire qualifying order of the Indy 500 is five percent. So five percent could get you from last to first. So if you're looking to upgrade your diecast collection or impress your racing obsessed son who is judging you for your old race cars and can't appreciate the classics and wants the new stuff and you want some sweet new gear, head over to spoilerdiecast.com. And hey, if you don't even like racing, do it for the free shipping. Trust me, you won't regret it. Bravo. I love it. SpoilerDieCast.com. That's the only place I'm buying my diecast. And as you said it, they have diecasts primarily from NASCAR, but they're expanding to all different types of motorsports. Go check it out at SpoilerDieCast.com. Love it. Let's go into the news. Lots to cover this week, as we said. First and foremost, Stefan Wilson, IndyCar uh, practice crash at the Indy 500 with Catherine Legg. Uh, which means another issue for Rahal Letterman Lanigan. She was the only car to actually qualify in and not be a part of bump day for them. Uh, Stefan, unfortunately, injured his back and will not be participating in the Indy 500. So Dreyer Reinbold Racing announced that Graham Rahal has now found himself in the Indy 500, and he will be driving that number 24 car. Moving on. Mm. Um, <laughs> sorry. I don't know if you can tell my phone started ringing. <laughs> um uh, yeah that's a big bummer it's... for Stefan. He was we raced with him on iRacing during the uh the pandemic. I felt horrible for him um seeing that, but it looked like the team was excited to announce their new driver on Twitter cuz they said they were excited, which I thought was kind of awkward for a team and making an announcement they're replacing an injured driver, but yeah. Excited. Um, odd odd use of the I word excited. You, what, what's that? Odd use or of the maybe word they excited. They're happy to announce or happy. Yeah. They said they they said they were happy to announce. Mm, Anyways. Okay. Odd. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. It was like an unfair awkwardness that I'm pointing out, but um <laughs> will they end up cuz we like talking about money and sponsorship. Will they end up having United Rentals on that car at all, do you think? Is there Oof. a sponsorship transfer that'll happen? I would have to think there's going to be that's the discussion, right? How do you work it out in terms of what is Graham able to bring? What of their partners was theirs versus Stefan's versus you know, has to be in that race. So I'm sure that's all the behind the scenes that have to be worked out. But no, they had to, they should... had to overcome a manufacturer conflict. Oh, really? Yeah, I think there's I a Chevy Honda manufacturer conflict there. Mm, fun. Even more fun. So, uh, well, yeah, we're wishing Stefan a uh, speed recovery. Eye, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, um, keep an eye on what's on that car. And sometimes, you know, like we say, follow the money. A lot of times you can get the answer to how deals get put together when you look at the stickers that end up on the car on race day. Very well said. Very well said. Uh, Mercedes has announced they're upgrading their Brackley, quote, campus. They're not calling it a uh, race shop factory. <laughs> or factory. It is a campus They used now. to call them factories. Yeah, they used to call them factories. This might give you an idea of where I'm going with this. They, and I quote, we want it to become its own little village with all the amenities and benefits that you would expect from a Silicon Valley style environment. I just thought that was kind of fun that they're going to do this. That's really cool. I, yeah. You know, I was when you were describing that, I was almost picturing. I know it's not an actual racetrack or like a sports venue, but I was I was picturing like a Wrigley Village or um, 
Or mm. what do they have up in New England for the Patriots? They have their own like town that's around the stadium. Well, I haven't been to that, but actually developing a village that's that's almost like a destination. You could sell condos and a place to live to be able to say that you live near the Mercedes F1 factory. That is kind of wild. Well, no, not a factory campus. Sorry, but the (laughs) the the if you want to talk about that, I once went to the um, the what was the team down Texas? Oh my gosh, Dallas Cowboys. They have a city that they built, basically, literally a city. Uh, and I, I couldn't even, I didn't even know I was staying there. We were going there for a Toyota event a couple years ago and they were like star city and all this stuff. And I wasn't paying much attention. We're at this hotel and there's a lot of Dallas Cowboy stuff, but I just assumed, Hey, you know, I'm in Texas near Dallas must be fans. Not little did I know when I went up to my room and I look out over this, this area, there's a huge Dallas Cowboy star and a practice field. And I realized this was like their practice area and it was a whole town slash city that they had built just for the dallas cowboys and that's when i knew they were really big but anyway yeah nuts more f1 the obviously the f1 race at imola was canceled uh due to all the rain no info so far on if it will be rescheduled or completely canceled but i do love imola so i hope they find a way and maybe it'll be like when uh we've seen races get put at the end of seasons like when nascar raced uh new hampshire in the freezing cold many years ago um I think it would be really cold in Imola, from what I understand, being, I believe, in northern Italy. So uh, they're going to have to figure that one out, but we'll see if they uh, do add that race back. Big news in Formula One. Honda has decided once again to come back into Formula One as an engine supplier. Uh, They announced they are partnering with Aston Martin, I believe, for 2026. And I just... Before we go into this much deeper, I need to just quickly run through the history of them because they have to be one of the most interesting uh, manufacturers' histories in Formula One in terms of the amount of times they've gone in and out, in and out, been successful, left, been unsuccessful, come back. It's kind of wild. So starting back in the 60s, 1964 to 1968, they were a factory team uh, with American drivers. Then their second era was 1983 to 92 when they were engine supplier to Williams, Lotus, and then, of course, famously McLaren when Senna was there, and finally Turrell. Then they left in 91. The third era for them, this is one that many of our people our age will remember, was the 2000 through 2008 era, the V10s, where they were with BAR, which was British American Racing for British American Tobacco, which was BAR Honda, and also Jordan for two of those years. BAR became eventually just Honda. From 2005 to 2008, where Jensen Button uh, came so close to running really well and and started to turn that team around when they weren't that successful. But in 2008, the global financial crisis hits, right? They were running this earth car. It was really weird scheme and such. They they sold the team to Ross Braun during the financial crisis for like, I can't remember, like maybe it was a dollar or something, whatever, just to keep the team going. And that's when they had the blown diffuser. And they won the championship, dominated, and Jensen Button became the 2009 champion in a Braun GP, which was not a Honda. Eventually, Braun becomes Mercedes, right? Which then goes on to become the juggernaut it is now. And then they re-entered Formula One with McLaren in 2015, where they had the horrible time at McLaren where there was no sponsors and Fernando Alonso and them got into many arguments and it was terrible. They left McLaren to go to Red Bull, they go on to win a championship, and then they took those motors and rebadged them other things. So they now decide they want to come back as a factory. 
Welcome back, Honda. Uh, the best thing I can add to that was in 2009 when Jensen Button was pretty much cleaning house. I actually went to Braun GP, um, or what was it called back then? Braun, Braun yeah, Mason, Braun, Braun GP. GP. Yeah. Um, I actually went to their factory and got a pretty much full t- full day tour of their factory. It was the coolest thing ever. Solar it wasn't tunnel, a campus. Solar simulator. What's that? It wasn't a campus. No, it was more like a – oh, it was definitely a campus. I mean, it was several buildings. It kind of was a little bit like a Hendrick Motorsports size. It mm-hmm. was large. Yep. Um, I would say it was similar similar to Hendrick Motorsports in size or felt like, at least in my memory, this is over 10 so, years ago. But. Wait, you've been to Brackley then? Mm-hmm. That's the same one that Mercedes is upgrading. Oh, is it really? Yeah. It's the same, it's the same <laughs> yeah. facility? Let me yeah. look at the pictures. <laughs> You've been there. <laughs> I, I've know, only been to one. I've only been at. to one F1 factory. I went to McLaren two years ago, three years ago now, and it was oh, a really man. cool experience. That was really cool. That building is it really, was really awesome. cool. It was awesome. It was, you know, that what I remember from that year um, in those cars was they didn't have any sponsors on them. They yeah. were like blank white cars. With the, with Just, the neon accent. I love the neon yeah. accent. I'm all about every it. race. Yeah. Set up, set up the career, you know, and, and it's like, I don't want to, I guess you don't want to minimize the accomplishment of that organization that year, but you know, a lot of people want to by just reducing it down to the diffuser or this awkward, you know, this weird advantage that they had, um, over the duration of the whole year. But isn't it funny how something like that and you win that many races and it pretty much sets up the careers of the people that were involved. I mean, look at Jensen (laughs) Button after that, look at Ross Braun after that. Yep. Um, that just that just goes to just goes to show you how important winning is. You know, they don't people don't remember that. You know, they had a diffuser, an aero advantage, or or anything like that. They just remember they you know they just remember who won all the races that year. It's it was a fascinating story. It will always be a fascinating story. But for Honda specifically, it's one of those like they put all the effort and funding behind that and didn't get the payoff. And it's just to me, it's one of the wildest stories in motorsports in terms of the OEM being connected to a, something that was so successful, but also not connected and couldn't get the, couldn't use it for the marketing advantage that they wanted. Um, NASCAR returned, as we mentioned to North Wilkesboro, you know, going after that golden era, you know, very much going back towards those roots here in the Southeast, um, mm-hmm. huge crowd support. There was late model racing. Obviously the truck race I was supposed to be in, uh, had a massive crowd, just ginormous, uh, for a truck race. And interestingly enough, Landon, we had a man on the ground in North Booksboro this weekend. That's right. Should we get should we get him to give us just a, a max sixty second recap from producer Josh here on what you experienced at this bringing back North Booksboro, Josh? I'll try to keep it under under sixty seconds, but it was phenomenal. I have to hand it to SMI. They killed it with the parking situation. The crowd's vibe was incredible. There were no super long lines. There was a, um, one of my favorite things is behind the grandstands, there was a speakeasy and you went inside and I'm not even kidding you. It was this tiny, felt like a hole in the wall bar at the track, filled (laughs) all of the vibes. And while the on-track product wasn't quite, and we'll get to that later, as exciting as everything else, I felt like it was um, 
I don't know. It was worth the visit out there. Just getting that experience, getting to see it all, getting to see the track under the lights and getting in there and out of there was way better than I think anyone ever expected it to be. Um, I got texts from friends saying, you know, wow, that was amazing. I never expected to get in and out that fast. Um, and it was just an it was just an awesome time. I, I can't complain. Well said, Josh. Although I do know you were lying about one thing in which you said you received a text because that's a lie. No one's phone was working. That's the one detriment of this whole experience I had being up there. It was awesome. The enthusiasm was great. Everything looked so cool. There was a huge crowd. As you mentioned, the parking was fine, which I was so surprised about. But my phone was useless. It was a brick. And everyone it, theirs was a brick. Yeah, it, it was It was a brick. Um, I will say, though, if you went outside onto the grandstands, Parker, and joined that fan Wi-Fi, it was actually mm. – it was – Pretty baller. I can't complain. That fan Wi-Fi, I could I could receive messages, but not texts. So, got it. Well, kudos to Marcus and the team. Thank you, Josh, for checking it out for us. Um, I did not go, even though I was just down the road. Maybe I'll uh, have to check it out next time. Yeah, we'll see if there is one. Um, just one thing that happened post race from North Wilkesboro quickly. Bubba Wallace had some fan or I don't know what to call them. People who wanted to say some derogatory things towards him on his radio. Um, And, you know, I I saw this and obviously it's very disappointing to see that kind of treatment towards any athlete or whatever. But for me, the thing that I found interesting from my time at North Wilkesboro was on Friday, I was watching, I was walking with Bubba around the track is we we're all the drivers were checking it out, right? We were looking at all the sealer and all this stuff and the patches and we we're checking it out. And he and I walked around the whole track together and every three feet, a fan was saying, that's Bubba. And then asking him for a photo or being like, Hey, I'm a big fan. And I mean, knowing there were so many people there on Friday and knowing obviously that he gets booze and that sort of thing, which was another topic. I wonder if the people doing that in the crowd being booing and that sort of thing are the same people who are asking for his photo when he's up close and personal <laughs> next to them. Because I'm telling you, the amount of people that came up and asked for his photo and, want, and pointed out and were like, hey, man, good job last week, or that sort of thing, was basically everyone there. And there was a ton of people there on Friday. So I don't know. I have a hard time be- believing that, not, that every one of those people wasn't also one of those people that's booing him when he gets introduced. So <laughs> for all of you that do go out both sides of your mouth, we're paying attention to you. That's all I'm saying. This is this is like the is it like those people on Twitter that they say something crappy to you in a response and all you have to do is reply to them and say something and then they <laughs> totally change the tune. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what like I think it people, is. They 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 boo them and and act like idiots when they're not in front of them, but when they're in front of them, it's like, oh wait a second, it's a NASCAR driver, it's Bubba Wallace. I know him. I want to take a picture. hundred percent. I, I don't know if it's the I mean, same, but um, I don't I don't understand the radio thing. Like that's just. It's it's actually awesome. kind of crazy because it's not I guess it's not that hard to get on a radio free it's a it's an open frequency, right? It's just a matter yeah. of, of getting the frequency. So I know NASCAR tries to keep that stuff under lock and key or um but it's really not that hard. So it's happened before, you know, maybe not like that to Bubba, but um but it has had you know, race fans or people have gotten themselves on the driver's frequencies before. Yeah. And I think this happened Dale Jr. a couple years ago, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. I believe it happened to him. And, it, yeah, I think – I mean uh, a lot of people have said 
and maybe yeah, Kyle Busch as well. I I think that you look at a lot of racing series are on digital radios at this point, right? Um, and I have to wonder at what point do we just move the sport towards digital radios? And I know there's infrastructure. Well, I mean, involved the teams would TV. already like to be. I mean, I, yeah, I, but I, I think, think that the, there's infrastructure. The, involved in the TV in terms of the fans having their scanners and that sort of stuff, right? So I think there is – that's some of the hesitation maybe, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's – Well, uh, hopefully we can get that worked out to where the fans can still get that product uh, from us during the race and we can be on digital radios. Yeah, well, they figured it out in Formula 1, so I think we can figure it out. We'll find a way. <laughs> the NASCAR Xfinity Series, no more after year 2024 potentially. No more Xfinity 10G internet, or as fast as, potentially. We'll see. Uh, it was reported this week by Adam Stern that Amazon m- potentially wants the naming rights and maybe a TV deal for the Xfinity series, which would maybe be the Amazon series, I guess. Um, and this is something I've heard a lot about, which is that these, you know, the Xfinity series, which is a, a, you know, if you look at the numbers, if you remove the Indy 500, it is the second, and Formula One is very close to each other in terms of TV ratings average throughout the whole year, right? So the Xfinity series mm-hmm. is a valuable series, a valuable property on TV. Um, and so it could be a way for a streaming partner to get something enough out of the package from not just have, you know, we've heard about them wanting six races potentially in the midsummer, that sort of thing. Um, it could be interesting uh, if Amazon goes this route and the Xfinity series ends up on streaming. I will say this. If that is the case, I would have to think the prize money would have to basically triple (laughs) or or quadruple. I mean, it might have to quadruple, to be honest, uh, because you won't be able to sell. You know, selling a sponsor will be very hard when you can't have the exposure, I guess. I I think that the prize money, I'm I'm just ballparking, is somewhere around a million bucks for just like an average Xfinity car. Yeah, for like 14. You know, maybe a a a championship winning Xfinity car might be a million and a half. Million six, a little higher. It's like two, two million maybe for a championship car. So, two point five. The budget of a championship Xfinity car is six, seven million. Yeah, and a yep. run of the mill average Xfinity fifteenth place Xfinity car, the budget might be two to three million. Yep. So, yep. you know that yeah, that prize money, like you said, it's going to have to double or triple because the sponsorship value is going to go way down, at least initially, for a streaming service um, if those eyeballs are so much less. It'll be... It's it's sort of the same conundrum Motorsports was in through the cable era, right? Just 10 years ago, signing with cable uh, companies as opposed to just being on network, right? And getting the exposure of network. The thing, though, that... that for one of these series, whether it's Cup, Xfinity, or Trucks, that I would love to see happen is a model where they do the teams do get funded primarily from the league and from the deal, right? Mm-hmm. And where their their sponsorship requirement to be able to run a team within a reasonable budget isn't isn't seventy percent of their overall yep. budget. You know that that maybe the the prize money can cover eighty percent of their budget because. What could happen beyond that is who knows, right? Maybe the driver personalities start to blossom. Maybe the teams, you know, the teams personalities start to blossom, and and you see better branding amongst the teams, and um, and more bold investments and bold moves for competition amongst the teams when their money isn't, you know, tied to corporate sponsorship. They can express themselves better, compete at a more authentic level, drivers and teams. 
um, if they know that the league is is paying for it all. They can just go in and and you know fight for their food. I guess. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I think that's the goal with what's happening with the Cup Series, right? What I what I fear would be sad and I'm just this is I have no background information on this so please no one take this as gospel but I'm just saying if this were the eventuality in that this is being done to get more money into the TV contract right that is then just pushed all into cup because if you mm-hmm. if you keep expanding the same as it is now put it on a streaming service I have to think the you know, the, the, the competitiveness and the ability for the sponsor to be there evaporates. And if you don't replace that, you know, and if, and it's used to simply change what's happening, you know, what everyone wants to happen in cup, which is the exact thing you described, where at least 70% of the team's revenue comes from the actual series itself and their performance in the series and not from sponsorship. Um, you know, that might be something that's happening, but I don't know that for sure. So hopefully that's not the case. Mm -hmm. That would be unfortunate. Speaking of, new series and series sort of <laughs> gone and come back. Um, I thought this was fascinating recently. And as, as always, if you want to see more of the motorsport news each morning in your inbox, by the way, check out the MoneyLap newsletter, moneylap.com, uh, three times a week, Monday mornings, highlights, Tuesdays and Thursdays, everything else. But I thought this was fascinating. If you may remember the series called A1GP, do you remember mm-hmm. it? No. So, uh, you don't remember it. You don't remember it? What is A1GP? So, A1GP came out, I want to say like 2006, 2007, and it was these V10, uh, maybe they were even V12, I don't know, spec cars that were basically the idea of nationalities racing against each other. So, you had a British car, American car, Scott Speed went over there and raced in it one time, some of the Red Bull guys. You had cars from all these different nations, and you, as a driver, went and represented your nation, and it was on the off-season. And the idea mm-hmm. was to, you know, see what the best nation was. Well, it was very much, I think, Middle East-funded, and eventually the global financial crisis crushed it because I don't think it, it was doing that well. Uh, well, mm-hmm. there's a group that wants to try and bring it back. And it's led by a guy who was a former team principal at Alpine, Alpine F1 team, um, and a couple others. And look, they want to do basically the same model, although the cars are going to run on sustainable fuels, which I get. Um, you know, they're going to do this December to July deal. And I, I see this, and I thought it was such a fun series. The problem I have with this is that Formula E has already filled that gap. That's essentially how they run their series is the off-season sort of style. Uh, it's what they started with. I don't know if this gets a lot of momentum. I don't think more racing series is the answer out there. But I did think that was a fun series. And those cars, though, those cars, you, you won't remember them. They were monsters. I remember driving them in R-Factor and such. They were just absolute monsters with huge rear tires. Um, and anyone who drove them said they were a lot of fun to drive. But I, I don't see this happening. I could see an appeal for um, a racing series to pop up that designs a car that is for the driver. That's just mm. like a dream car. And we'll get into this. I mean, when we talk about aero and, you know, all that stuff and there's all, there's this huge, um, there's always this ongoing debate and all these tensions of what the drivers want and what the series want. And is it for entertainment or is it what's for best for passing? What if, what, 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 what kind of product would you get if, 
if the drivers were the ones that that drove the desire out of the car. Uh, probably mm. you'd get a million different products because none of them would be yeah. happy. Everybody would argue it costs gaz- a gazillion dollars. <laughs> but but actually to dumb it down, I mean, take Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin's uh, desires. What if they just listened to him? What if we just got a thousand horsepower with no ho- with no spoiler? What would we get? Would it be the coolest racing ever? I don't know. What would happen if you ju- if you developed a racing series that was like every professional driver in the world was like, I want to drive that car. Where not a single driver ever got out of that car and was like, mm, those things suck. It's too late. It's too <laughs> slow. It's too, I don't like running wide open or I don't like this or I don't like that. Where it's like, it was just like everybody got out and you couldn't wipe the smile out of their face. What would happen? Would the most talented drivers in the world flock to that racing series? Would the money flock? Would the money come with them? Would the entertainment come with them? I would it. Would it should I they, think so. <laughs> Are we making this the Money Lab Racing Series? <laughs> the Money Lab Racing Series. Uh, okay, so we need some uh, Middle Eastern money. Yeah, we need about a hundred million bucks, at least a hundred million. <laughs> Probably no. That's more. so. I believe. Well, that's what they're seeking here for the new A1 GP. Uh, they're they're seeking a hundred million. So I think we'll need at least a hundred million, maybe two hundred million. But guess what? Interest rates are pretty high. We can't pay you that much interest, but you'll have more fun with us. So <laughs> don't think this is just a zero interest rate phenomena. We we want to make this happen. You know, here's my pitch on that. Exactly what you described. I always thought, to me, the most wild series in the world would be manual gearbox. 1,000 horsepower and a mix of tracks. And no doubt, no wings, no downforce. So, exactly what you described, basically. That's a NASCAR so stock like a, car. But I, I always like thought an about F1 taking or an IndyCar from what, what, when yeah. did the IndyCars back when they were sprout still wings? USAC, basically. Well, you're thinking so the 1960s before they sprouted wings. So, I always thought if you took like a champ car back in 07, 03, cut off the wings. Take away the underbody arrow, make it a massive Formula Ford with a thousand horsepower and a manual gearbox. Let's go racing, <laughs> baby. Let's go. Or, or we could say the stock car version of that, right? Yeah, or a stock and car. Make it a production car with a thousand horsepower and street tires. And street tires. Ooh, I want street what tires. Kind of street tire. We could probably find street tires that would handle it, but yes, yeah, we could do nice. it electric and make the gearbox have to work too, though. A six-speed manual electric stock car on road tires. Okay, I think we're getting outside the scope of what an electric, <laughs> how an electric motor works, there, Parker. No, but we can make you can make it. No, we'll make it work somehow. I don't know how, but we'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board with making it electric, but I don't. Know well, you can make it like a sim racing. Sh- you can make like a sim racing gearbox, basically, but that that defeats it. It needs to be a real gearbox. <laughs> needs to actually have a function. Yeah, it's true. Okay. okay. All right. Well, uh, if you uh, if if you're worth hundreds of billions of dollars and you have a couple <laughs> hundred million to throw around and you want to fund the money lap racing series idea, a and series. if you're NASCAR, if you work for NASCAR and you're listening to this podcast, don't get don't be nervous. <laughs> don't be nervous. We're not. You guys are fine. You guys you are got gonna... plenty of runway. <laughs> a series by the drivers for the drivers. There we go. <laughs> Who's on board? Come with us. Come on. <laughs> All right. I love the pitch. We'll see if anyone signs up. I'm sure AJ can make a great clip out of this to get us to go viral on the internet with our pitch for more money. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Big topic of right drivers. now. Yeah, we need, to get, we need to go into this because 
we can go a lot of ways with this one, but I believe it's important for us as two drivers to have this discussion and for the fans to hear this out there. The yeah. question is, what amount of leeway does a driver deserve in a new ride? Now, I am not saying this because currently I'm in a new ride, obviously, but <laughs> this is less to do with my situation and more in Formula One. Nick DeVries, who currently drives at AlphaTauri, the former or the uh, Formula E champion and Formula Two champion, 28 years old, highly touted driver, has had a tough five races to start the Formula One season. Now, immediately, the F1 media circus has taken this and run with the idea of he's going to get replaced. That's it. You get you can't have five bad races. You can't be outshone by your teammate this often. Um, you know, basically it's the driver, replace him, that sort of thing. Even though the guy has an incredible resume, comes in highly touted, and obviously just is off to a bad start, they want to get rid of him. Some of this, I believe, is partly the they don't have a lot to talk about. So, of course, they're going to try and find the lowest person standing and say, this person needs to be replaced. Come on, get him out. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, there obviously is the, the history at Red Bull, where they're not really – they don't give a lot of leeway. They are quite um, quick to get rid of drivers and move them around, as we've seen in the mm -hmm. past, because they don't care. Um, and it's worked for them at times. But in this case, it's not like you took a young guy with a very you know, unusual resume or something. He's a very much a proven race car driver who has been a champion mm -hmm. in every category before this and beneath Formula One, and now you're, you're five races in, and you're going to say, nah, that's it, we're done. Like, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Why even make the investment? Why even go through the time of printing the guy's name onto the car? Like, if you're going to replace someone in five races, my God, go, you know, that's just wild. I, I find it to be, uh, there, I think the leeway for drivers has to be far more based on, legitimate performance and not results. I, I get very frustrated with results as a performance fa uh, mark and less, you know, okay, how fast is he? How close is he to the teammate? That sort of thing. So I think it's uh, worth pointing out that it is the month of May, and May is a bloody month for motorsports. <laughs> Please explain and I've always, I've, I've never <laughs> Why thought is about this. I've never thought about this for other disciplines, but in NASCAR, we race in Charlotte in May, and it's usually like, you know, 10, 12 weeks, and a third of the way through the season, almost halfway. You know, we're coming in on the summer months, so we're kind of getting ready to transition to our summer travels. And it just seems like May is when crew chief changes start to get talked about, <laughs> driver changes start to get talked about. Because by the time you get to June, July, August, if you're going to make a change for next year, the change has to be happening. Yep. Right. By June, July, August, or by, by let's say July, August. Yep. And so May is when it's like, all right, we've settled in. We're 10 races, 12 races into the year. We've settled in. The, the honeymoon stage is over between the driver and the crew chief. Who's, who's going to get axed? Is it the driver? <laughs> is it the crew chief? Is it what's like, what's, what has to happen, right? And those, these changes start to be discussed right now in May. They may not happen till June and July. So in June and July, when there's, you know, in the cup series or an Xfinity series, when there's a crew chief swap among teams or a crew chief change gets, gets shipped 
and a new crew chief comes in or a driver gets shipped and a new driver comes in in June and July, you could just tweet at me and reach out to me and be like, okay, Landon was right. Because those conversations start right here in May. Yep, yep. So true. for whatever reason, May is just, it's, it's just when it all happens. And I think it's because, and even though, you know, F1's on a different schedule than NASCAR, they still started their season, you know, a couple of weeks after us. Uh, when was their first race? March. 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 So yep. yeah, a couple of weeks after, cause we're started the end of February. Yeah. They're, they're a couple months into the year. They've traveled together for a while. They've now they, they've gotten like a good feel of how everybody works together and they're not happy with the result. And so conversations are happening. And, um, <laughs> I just like, I want to know for our boy, Nick, I, I agree with, um, with what Mon, Juan Pablo Montoya, um, you, he was one that was quoted in the press basically saying he needs more time and it's yeah. not easy to get into F1. And I agree a hundred percent, especially at F1, you know, it's maybe, you know, especially F1, especially the cup series, um, you know, at those high levels, I think you need a driver properly that gets a proper chance. And it's hard to give a proper chance to a driver because there's so many other factors that control the, a driver getting a chance in the first place. Is it, is it, you know, who's paying for it really is the first big question. Is it a sponsor? Mm-hmm. Is it the manufacturer? Is it the driver's dad? Like we don't, you know, there's, th- those are some of the biggest factors that determine it. But really, if you're just trying to give a driver a fair shot, all those other things um, considered, I think at that level, it takes a minimum of two years yep. to yep. truly shake out and see what the driver's worth. And I think that maybe you could say, okay, we give them two years, and at the end of two years, we make a, a, a judgment call. But I think you really got to give them three years. Mm-hmm. And maybe by midway through your third year or by the end of the third year, you can you can properly say, okay, this is where this guy stacks up. Now, so, I don't know how these teams evaluate drivers. Maybe they have different metrics to evaluate. Yep. And I, I guess my, you know, that's, that's an assumption that I'm making with no real metrics. They could have some really, you know, thoughtful metrics on like, Hey, we can tell within six months if this guy is worth it or not. Mm-hmm. In, uh, I believe it's Jeff Burton and Steve Latard have said, you know, when you talk about the cup series, a rookie in cup really needs a hundred races to really, to really know what you have, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's three years essentially, or just, out, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's a little more than two. And, when you think about that, yeah, if you could say if you signed a cup contract as a rookie and went in there with three years or two years of leeway, that's enough time to figure it out. Yes, it's a deep pool. It's going to be tough. There's going to be things thrown at you. You weren't, you know, you either have to rise above or or rise to, or you will or you won't, right? And that's why it's sort of like, hey, but after 100 races, you either have or you don't, right? Um, and you've either figured this out and you figure out what you need to be doing and those sorts of things. And so I think it's the same, you know, for formula one, I think very much so to your point, it's, there is more time needed because, and yeah, they could have some metrics to show that he's lacking in a breaking zone or compared to Yuki or, uh, Sonoda, or, you know, he's, you know, not carrying the same min speeds, whatever. Right. I, I think the problem is, especially formula one, it's all the external stuff. It's all the attention. Mm-hmm. It's the media. It's everything else that is actually probably one of the harder things to to immediately deal with. Now, for someone like himself who's won championships in other series that are pretty high profile, I don't know if that would really be, and I've, I've seen him speak, and I don't think that would be a thing, but you never know. You never know what sudden mm-hmm. attention like that or what attention he's getting from his home and, and you know all around his life. So I, I just think it's unfair to throw someone in that much of a pressure cooker and say five races in, no matter what the performance 
metrics say and say, yeah, yeah, he's got it or he doesn't. Like, I, I just I don't see it. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to watch. But I like your May's reckoning time. I, I want to know what I know it, you, you pointed out that it's, it's this portion of the season and such. But it's like, <laughs> what is May? Is May the beginning of the discussion, or is May? It's already happened because you called May bloody. I, well, I think, I think that May is the the beginning of the discussion, and things things sometimes happen in May. But I think that it's maybe when it starts to get bloody Got is it. by Charlotte. By when we race in Charlotte is when it when real discussions are happening mm. and real rumors cutthroat world. Well, one guy who is definitely not in jeopardy, uh, at the moment is none other than young money. Kyle Larson. Uh, this week he won some race during the week. I don't even know where he can never keep up with it because he wins a race every week somewhere. He also won the truck race, which he wasn't at North Wilkesboro, which he wasn't supposed to be in, but he was filling in for Alex Bowman. Um, so you got to think, Winning that race, knowing prize money splits and such, he probably made about 30K because I want to talk about the money side of this with him winning the All-Star race. But let's say his main salary is somewhere around 200K a race. I don't know how that works the All-Star race, really. But we'll just say that, and then about 50% just, of the so one So just mil- to establish, do you, you think that Larson is getting a $7 million base, roughly? That's maybe a little. Cup? I don't know, somewhere around there. I know he signed that new contract. That could be a little high. But I'd say somewhere around there, knowing he's a champ. Um and he maybe got what fifty percent of the one million. I think I think his bonus. I think the two hundred thousand base. I, I don't know if he's making seven million base, but that sounded high to me. But mm-hmm. I think that your estimation of fifty percent for a win was low. I bet you he makes more than that for a win. Mm. You think a lower but, base and know. a higher percentage of winnings? Could be. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So do we think but my my it, point of bring that up? All of was, that, all of that wrapped in a bow. The point of this is you wanted to say that you thought that he made almost a million bucks this week. He made almost a million bucks this weekend. Is what I was trying to get to. Whew. Thanks for thanks that's for killing payday it for, me. for. That's a that's a big that's a big payday for an hour from the house. That is a wonderful weekend, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful day at the races. How'd your day go? Ah, I made about a million bucks. All right, cool. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, for an hour drive or less than an hour drive. Wonder, is there has anybody ever made like? Well, I guess okay. one drivers. Well, hold on. Like, I'm trying to this. think of a of a specific race where a driver made a million dollars off of the well, race. Well, winning the Indy 500, it pays almost three million bucks. So if they make a percentage, you make a million bucks. Daytona yeah, 500, yeah. same thing. What I was thinking was multiple races because I was thinking about Tony Stewart doing the double many years ago mm-hmm. where he finished what did he finished third in the 8500 and then he was running in the top three and i think he blew up in the cup race or something but i was like if he just in prize money alone from those two races he probably would have made a million bucks back then so yeah pretty cool those are good days hence they're flying around in helicopters and private jets to do those sorts of things <laughs> <laughs> with this this guy's on fire I saw this post around the internet. I just thought it was interesting. Is Kyle Larson the best race car driver alive right now? In the world? That's a great question. I think um, I think that is possible that he is. I think that he's doing he's doing the things that you would need to do if you wanted to prove that you are the best race car driver alive. <laughs> That's and that is a race. way to put it. 
in that is race different disciplines and winning in all of them. So, you know, do you want to argue and say that he should run an Indy car? I mean, he's going to, right? He's going to run the Indy 500, but, but sure. I mean, yeah, let's see him run an Indy car. You know, best, best (laughs) oval racer alive, undoubtedly for sure. Um, would he be able to compete? I mean, this goes back to our versatility hold debate that lit the world on fire a couple of weeks ago. Um, do I think he could hop in an Indy car and run with Scott McLaughlin at Barber? I don't, I don't know. I mean, do, would he do better than Jimmy yeah. Johnson did? I don't know that either. Like, <laughs> that's a tough one, right? But, yep. but does he go to Indy and compete at a high level right now? The way he's driving, I, I think he. W- I don't see why he wouldn't. Right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about Kyle, and this is why it's going to be fun and spectacular. And I didn't mean to like turn this into a 2024 Indy 500 prediction, predictin, prediction. But the thing that's going to be spectacular about Kyle Larson at Indy next year is he is he is so courageous and he's so talented and he is so good at finding the limit and going fast. He's probably going to swap ends at least at some point. Mm-hmm. Next May, it's not, and that is going to be Indy. part of his journey. Yep, that's going to be part of his journey. And if he does early, like if if he if he steps that thing into the fence, or if he swaps swaps ends at one point in testing, I mean, I just hope that they built two good cars for him because that'll <laughs> that'll only make him stronger. It'll mm-hmm. only help him because he is so close to the limit on all t- at all times. He's so good at that. <laughs> He's in all of these cars that he drives. Yep. And in any Indy car, if he doesn't it, it like if he doesn't wreck the thing, then it just tells me he drove it too far under the limit. Like it, those cars are so edgy. Those guys, you know, those guys that are good at it, it's because they've they've all done it. They've all wrecked them at some point. Yep. And they know they because of that, they know how to find the limit. And they know how to be so close to it. And he has to be able to do that if he's gonna win. I think, and I think he can, because yes. that's how he drives. That's how he drives. I think everything. he can win. I think he can win. I think it's entirely dependent on his where Arrow McLaren is next year. Like, obviously, not having a year like Ray Hall and Lanigan had this year. But mm-hmm. if they are somewhat competitive, especially like they are right now, mm-hmm. I believe he's absolutely going to run in the top ten, like we saw Kurt Busch do. Uh, back in 2014. Kurt also had that big hit, you know, and I think that was a big part of his journey. Uh, I also think the second year, because he did two years, I think that takes some pressure off the first year. If he runs decent the first year, I absolutely think if the cars are there, he contends for the win in the second year. No doubt in my mind. And I would like, I want to know this just theoretically and we'll move on. Him versus Max Verstappen, how could it be done? Where would you do it? Quick. How do you determine? Give me, give me it in ten seconds. <laughs> uh, him versus Max. I don't know. I don't know. You got to well, put him through a couple different disciplines, but let's let the listeners tell us. I don't know. They tell us. Let yeah, how would listeners... you compare? Yeah. I mean, okay. So we we previously had a debate of you know versatile drivers, whatever. But the debate you guys all really wanted was to just figure out who the best driver is. So how do we determine who the best driver is? I think it's impossible. I mean, we just said, is he the best driver alive? And I said, yes. But um, 
how do you even how do you even determine that? How do you I determine think, that Kyle Larson is better than Max Verstappen? I think Max would have a really tough time jumping into all the other stuff, right? And I think if it was He wouldn't have a hard time in an Indy car? Are you kidding me? No, I think the uh, Indy car wouldn't be. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that it'd be something like that. I just think road course wise versus oval, you'd have to have some mix because they're both specialists in each. But I think they'd both be good. I think Max uh, has run oval racing and i racing, right? Maybe, and he's maybe very yeah. Good. Maybe Max is a, maybe Max would be a sleeper because he's done oval racing on i racing. <laughs> Kyle will have maybe to go to work more on road course for stuff. it than we than we give him credit for. He's damn good, but I think he'd have to specialize a little bit and go run. You know, instead of running wing sprint cars one week, he'd have to go run some SCCA or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. You know what they won't be running? What's that? That is the current NASCAR Cup car at short tracks. Because the question oh. is right now, is it broken? <laughs> it's yes, not a it's compelling awful. product. It's not a compelling it's product. Yeah. It's awful. And I, I know everyone's it's talked good about good everywhere else. Yeah, and everyone's talked about the issues, right? And we can talk about ad nauseum about the issues. The fact is, it's bad. And the other day, you know, you all you have to do is look at the truck race, a traditional stock car designed car at North Wilkesboro, putting it on a fairly entertaining race, fairly entertaining to watch them move around and that sort of thing. And you fast forward to the cup race, it's what we've seen now of these cars continually at short tracks, too much grip, too you know, just just locked in. They they don't they're not compelling to watch on these tracks. They too don't have speed. movement. Yeah, too high a min speed, too much arrow. It's just it's all wrong, all wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's the 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 biggest thing that stands out to me, other than the the profile of the tire difference, uh, because it's such a low profile tire, makes it you know edgy where you know it's got a lot of grip until it doesn't so it just puts you on it puts you in a box in terms of the line you can run and the the load that you can put under on that tire um is just the underbody arrow and they've tried they've taken down force away from the cars um the cars don't have a great big spoiler like it doesn't have it it doesn't seem like the car generates a lot of overbody arrow to begin with it's mm-hmm. like it needs to just lose the diffuser somehow <laughs> lose the diffuser lose a couple inches of tire um i don't know keep get the damn thing off the ground i i don't I the can't tire stand thing that. doesn't i don't understand the tire because like why you know i don't feel like having a wide tire should be that big of a problem i feel like the wide tire should actually allow you to have a softer tire that can wear out Right. Well, that's so what they're bringing to, me, to New Hampshire. What's that? So New Hampshire, they announced they're going to bring a softer tire. Starting. New That'll Hampshire. be interesting. Yeah. Because, like, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I would love to, I should, I should call, you know, some of my friends at Goodyear and kind of understand what's going on there. I feel like the tire has some weak point in the construction where they can't make the tire soft enough, right? We had all those tire failures last year, like, you know, the left rear tire failures all the time. If the pressures are too low, if they're too hard in the mm-hmm. left rear bump stop, um, then they'd have tire failures. So I wonder if, you know, Goodyear's response to that is to stiffen up the tire, which, you know, typically when Goodyear does something like that, it just ends up with a stiff or, you know, they can't get the tire compound soft enough to be grippy like we want and to have tire fall off like we want. 
um, yep. where when we have a wide tire, I would think that they should allow us to have a soft tire compound that can lay rubber on the track that can, you know, shed rubber from the tire and build, you know, g- generate this tire degradation that, that we always talk about that we like. But if they're limited by this low profile that gets damaged easily at low pressures, um, is that limiting them from creating a soft tire to do the whole thing that having a wide tire should allow you to do in the first place? Yeah. Right. Uh, I, they tried the no, you know, the no diffuser package at the Martinsville test. That didn't work. There was basically no change. Um, they've obviously cut all the downforce down to the lowest level a cup cars had since like the nineties. Um, none of it works. So, I mean, it has to be the tire. This is the last bit. This is the last variable. Like, there's nothing else to change. There's that and horsepower. Put a thousand horsepower it's and change the tire. Touches the earth. Yeah, it's the fort. It's where the rubber meets the road. Quote, you know, part of the pun, but it's yep. le- it's legitimately what the situation is. You got to change the tire. It's the only thing to fix it. And I gave you some homework, um, by the way, that I hope you did, and that was to watch the supercars race this weekend from Tasmania, because they had three races. It's the super sprint style. And they recently launched, as we've talked about on here, their Gen 3 car, which is their next-gen car. And to me, watching those cars and those races, it feels like what we were promised with the next-gen car. And I know NASCAR had interactions with supercars and how they build their car. I know this car we have is supposed to be related to that supercar in some respects, taking the best bits of it and saying, okay, they run a stock car essentially. But when I watch their car... And I watched the former Gen 2 car. It looks very similar. Now, the designs are very different. It's a you know, far more spec car. They obviously have the, the engine situation we talked about, which is essentially spec between the Chevy and the Ford. But you watch it. They don't have aero issues. They, the cars are soft. They're set up. They're about, you, know, you can see them moving around and having visible differences in the, in the way they're being driven and, and run over curbs and they can run so closely together how did we get it wrong (laughs) where has this gone wrong is it you know i know that supercar teams are basically and this is not putting down anyway just australia is a far far smaller country are very much you know similar to xfinity teams in terms of their size Mm -hmm. the resources the budget levels that sort of thing uh they are not cup level cup level is essentially on the way to formula Mm -hmm. one so, you know, you can always say that maybe resources and that sort of engineering talent ruins, you know, the effect of what you're trying to do with a design of a car like this. But, man, the Gen 3 supercar is still epic to watch on road courses. And our car, the next-gen car, is terrible on road courses and short tracks. It's like, what happened? Where did we go wrong? Yeah, I mean, even watching those cars kind of root and gouge against each other, the way they lean into each other and things like that, the cars can slide around a little bit more. They're... Um, you know, they can kind of lean into each other more. Uh, by the way, that hairpin at Tasmania. Is that, <laughs> is that cool? That yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Like, it had banking to it and some progression. You know, they didn't run the very bottom. It was, it was like a, it was, I want to say, I, I wish there were more road courses that were thoughtfully designed like that. Or maybe it wasn't thoughtfully designed. I have no idea. Maybe they just built it into the, into the landscape. But um, it makes me wish I could, see how those cars raced on an oval i guess we have to try it on i racing see if they race any good one day on yeah oval. we can try it and that that is one of i will say it is one of my favorite tracks um that they go to because it is it's sort of like their short track essentially it's a very small road course with with long straightaways and then really tight corners like that hairpin at the end of the straightaway which is awesome 
Um, and I just love it. But I think anyone out there listening, if you want to see that, just go to the Supercars YouTube page. You can see all the highlights. Uh, we should also always have it in the um, Monday uh, Money Lap newsletter. So you'll see the highlights there. Short tracks, tempers, they go hand in hand. Pretty public uh, display of that at Hickory this past weekend as uh, Lynn Huffman and Annabeth Barnes Crum tangled after a bump and run, which led to an altercation amongst uh, their spotters. And this is, uh, you know, a little bit of what we see now short track racing over the years. But this looked to be sort of over the line in a lot of ways, potentially, in terms of, you know, the, uh, the, the I guess, the reaction being a little bit over top from the action that initiated mm-hmm. it. Yeah, did you see the video? I mean, uh, I did. Uh, first of all, of the wreck on under caution. Yes. Um, I would definitely say over the line. I mean, I just there. I, I don't want to. Uh, the first thing I want to say is, man, we don't normally see stuff like that at a local level, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking about the crash under uh, under yellow. But then I was like, except for know, Bowman Gray, we have seen some, <laughs> we yeah, except for Bowman Gray. We have seen some stuff over the years, right? Does any do you remember the guy that went through the windshield feet first? Uh, Toledo, Outlaw, wasn't that Toledo? Toledo, yeah, yes, yeah, it was yes. Toledo. <laughs> that was wild. I mean, that was that was pretty unbelievable. Uh, I mean, that went viral back like before it was cool to go viral. <laughs> so, it's not the first time that something ill-tempered has happened at the racetrack and somebody wrecks someone under caution. Um, I think the thing that that hits home for me. I, I, I guess I don't know Annabeth. I know Jake Crum. I actually grew up racing go-karts um, around him. And and the reason I use that as an example is because the thing that, that disappoints me in it all is, like, these are young people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Jake is he's my age, so he's 30-something, you know, 32 or 31. Um, but, like, these, you know, so it, it just seems like this this is happening with, with people 30 years and younger. Right. And, yep. and you know, if I see teenagers do this in races, it's super disappointing. Right. You see intentional wrecking and things like that. Um, I mean, what she did was not just, it was a total disregard for her own car. Right. You, we can yep. talk about the safety of other drivers and all this other stuff. It's just like, it just, it, it shows you that you, that she doesn't even respect her own equipment right mm-hmm. let alone trying to wreck another driver that she's mad at we can talk about why she wrecked or you know whose fault it was or whatever but it's just like she didn't even wreck her own equipment or she, she didn't even respect her own equipment and that's just that's that's disappointing um and then obviously you know jake uh, uh supposedly assault assaulting uh robert huffman on the spotter stand which is just ridiculous i mean yeah what well, you're gonna like punch out the guy that's spotting for the guy that that makes no sense i've driver, never understood like, that I've never understood spotters fighting. It's like, what control do they have? None. (laughs) My favorite ones, though, and and a lot of times, actually, it's the professional spotters that handle this the best because, you know, they're professionals and they also, you know, they they know that they never know, you know, what driver they might have to spot for next or is that my favorite way of spotters handling those scenarios is when they actually just blame the dri- their own driver and they're like, (laughs) I wasn't driving. I didn't know, (laughs) you know, or the I don't hold the wheel. And a lot of those... (laughs) The spotters on the NASCAR stand, you know, they 
they all know each other and generally they're i think they're you know they get along pretty well so when their drivers wreck each other they i i've been on the spotter stand and watched this stuff happen and they look at each other and give each other that face of just like you know, like <laughs> sorry man yep. uh, sorry <laughs> what am i supposed to do about it <laughs> i'm holding the radio so, not a steering wheel <laughs> Um, I, I understand that it could be maybe be a little more emotionally charged at a local level. You, Jake and Annabeth, it sounds like their husband and wife, and uh, maybe they you know work on their car, and you know it, 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 so they might be a little. They're, they're, the emotional. I, I I'm not gonna discount the fact that the emotion profile there could be a little bit different. But wait a is, second, uh, it is tacky. It is very yeah. tacky. Um, and it doesn't look good. It it doesn't. It's just it's bad. Like that's not how we should be handling things. I hope if you're racing on iRacing, that's not how you handle things. I hope if you're racing at a local short track, that's not how you handle things. Um, I've done stuff like that before. I've wrecked my car after the race or damaged my car after the race out of anger, and I've never felt better. It's never it's never filled the hole in my heart. It's not that was not the right thing to do. I think the biggest part of what you just brought up, spotters believing they're a bigger part of the equation than they are. <laughs> Wait, Next does week that on the money me, lap. Does that make me what, think what? about a certain group? Ah, man, I can't. I can't come up with it. Anyway, yeah. Next week on the money lap, we'll dive into that one. Before we go, next week on the money lap, we'll have a convert. Well, let's spitball an idea in an argument. Oh man, this is gonna. This is, I don't, by the way, I don't believe this because I have friends that are spotters. I love the value, but, but at some point on the money lap, let's, let's game out the uh, reason why NASCAR should get rid of spotters. Ooh, I think that'd be fun. I like that. Uh, but this weekend they will have them. And in two of these races, you'll have spotters because this is the greatest weekend in motorsports land in Memorial Day weekend, the Monaco Grand Prix, the Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600 all on the same day. We need to make some picks and predictions because it's just the best. You want to start? Well, what with me? do you think? Uh, go ahead. All right, I'm going to say this is not much of a prediction, but I'm just going to make this uh, pick because I'm just hoping for something that's a little more interesting than it usually is. But that is that uh, a Red Bull will not win the Monaco Grand Prix. So I'm going to start there. Yeah. Wow. We're on a limb here. That if, uh, if they lock up row. <laughs> It's done. Uh, so then I'll make the easiest prediction that the uh, the winner of the Monaco Grand Prix is going to come from the front row. <laughs> right. Love it. Um, um, in the Indy 500? I hope, that, I hope that Monaco is a close enough battle that uh, we can see, you know, an overtake on pit road. Um, I think the cars are too big to see overtaking on the racetrack. They're way too I'm damn I'm still going to watch. Huh? I'll still watch because I love it. And I love Monaco, and I'll definitely watch qualifying. But they are way too damn big. Formula One cars have become gargantuan, and it's just the most. It's one of the more setting too things big for in that sports. Way too big. Yep. Indy five hundred. I've seen some quotes. I've looked at some of the, what's going on. I think this could be one of those classic, very compelling Indy five hundreds. In that there's the right level of on the edge with the cars, but they could have a bit of draft passing. So. You know, one of those classic multiple lead changes in the last 10 laps. Time it right, win the race. Can't wait for that. Probably, in my opinion, the greatest race in the entire world, not just the greatest spectacle. Um, and I, winner-wise, I don't know if I have a winner. Do you have a winner? 
I, I can't pick a driver, but I think the winner will be a Ganassi car. I think they got the field covered. Mm. Um, and my heart and soul is going to be cheering with everything I have for Connor Daly. Love to see Connor do well. I'm gonna say I'd love to see Jack Harvey do well from 33rd in this heroic way to get in. Maybe the lack t- of speed means he's gonna drive good in traffic. Maybe exactly. he'll maybe he'll just like blast through the field. They got all that downforce in it. You know what? I'm gonna pick a winner. Colton Herna. He wins the Indy five hundred. How about that? And last but not least, the Coca-Cola six hundred. Um it was exciting last year. It, if it, for all the reasons we described the next gen car being a dud on short tracks and road courses, it is the exact opposite mile and a half. This could once again be one of the more compelling 600-mile races that's ever been run in the history of motorsports. We'll see. It'll be a good one. Uh, hard not to go with the Hendrick driver. Hard not to go with Larson right now. But I feel like William Byron has found himself in these situations and taken advantage of them several mm-hmm. times this year. So I feel like you could see a William Byron, Kyle Larson, Ross Chastain, uh, mm. top three racing for the win type situation. But I don't know about Ross. I think I think Ross, um, you know, as long as he has just remained mentally sharp and strong and not let this stuff get to him over the last couple weeks, um, as long as that doesn't slow him down, then he'll he'll be a factor. I think a guy who's starting to show a bit of pace and could be interesting because the Coca-Cola 600 has a history of this, Ty Gibbs finds himself winning his first race. We'll see. Really? Could be. Yeah, I don't know. Just thought of it right here on the spot. So we'll see where we'll go with that. <laughs> I'll probably look like I thought idiot. you were going to say Martin Truex. Cause, cause I, I was going to say MTJ, but I, the, I decided. When Martin Truex a... has pace, he's deadly. Yes. He is. He is. He's on it. Right? Yep. When he's fast, it, everyone watch out because he's on it. But I just think yep. the Coca-Cola 600 has a lot of – or it seems to have a history of first-time winners. Before we go, I did put a poll out on Twitter before we recorded this, asking if you could only watch one race of the three on Sunday, which would you watch? Or And I also put an option that was all three or die. Monaco Grand Prix got 1.7% of the votes. The Indy 500 got 32.3%. The Coke 600 got 44.5%. And all three or die, 21.5%. Maybe that's more of a Which mark of my followers. Which one I vote? Yeah. Indy 500. <laughs> I voted all three or die. <laughs> <laughs> I just, the Indy 500 to me is one of the most compelling motorsport products in the world. But I, I'm a pretty all three or die guy. If you listen to this podcast, please watch all three. We're trying to make everyone – we like it, people that like all motorsports. Um, and last year, only a fraction of the 16.5 million – watched all three so if you're one of those people that watches all three you're in a cool club and you're with us so look forward to it i'll also be racing in the xfinity race on saturday and hopefully enjoying many adult beverages and celebration watching all these races all right that's the money lap peace Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all of this content for free. So what do we ask for? 
simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.